<laughs> you don't want to know. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's good to be here with, uh, with you this morning. And uh, we're going to jump right in because I believe God has something to say to us this morning. It's, uh, as Derwin mentioned uh, a bit earlier, it's the Sunday after Easter and Christ is still risen. Um, so it's, it's still a good Sunday. Incidentally, it's also a good Sunday because it is Master's Sunday. Um, it is Master's Sunday indeed. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, that's not true. All the Master's people, let's just leave now. <clears throat> if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're not a Master's person. But it is a Sunday after Easter. Um, in many ways, the climax of our faith, uh, we celebrated last Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like we move on too quickly. Um, it, kind of the same with Christmas, you know, like the decorations, if you have any up for Easter and Christmas, they come down quickly, and, and we're off to the next thing. And sometimes the Sunday after Easter, we're off to something different, and away we go, and we don't really look at Easter again until... Um, a year goes by. Um, sometimes we're too quick to move on from the story, and sometimes we forget that even in, uh, even in Scripture, there's quite a bit of post-resurrection drama that unfolds. In all four Gospels, actually, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, there is post-resurrection drama. Jesus appears to his followers in a variety of circumstances and in a variety of ways, uh, and we're going to look at um, one of those this morning. Um, from John chapter 21. In John chapter 20, the chapter right before what I'm about to read in a few moments, um, Jesus appears to his disciples uh, in that chapter twice, actually, and both times it's behind locked doors. It says the doors are locked because the disciples were afraid. They didn't know what was going on. And it says, despite the, the secure environment, Jesus stands in their midst. I don't know about you. That's a little freaky. Twice it happens. Uh, and there's probably, in some ways, that gave them um, some, uh, some astonishment. And Jesus says, peace be with you. But let's be honest, part of that would probably be even, whoa, am I seeing what you're seeing? This is really, really strange. In John chapter 21, it says Jesus appears again to his disciples. We have no idea how much time has lapsed here um, between the, the two um, uh, appearances Jesus makes in John chapter 20. But, but in John 21, Jesus um, appears again to his disciples on the shores this time, not in a locked room, but on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Listen to these words, John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. 
When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. My friends, this is God's word to us this morning. I want to focus uh, our time this morning um, focusing on one word. And I think it's a very biblical word. That's the argument I'm going to make this morning anyway. It's, it's the word chaos. Chaos. And as Dave um, alluded to just a few moments ago, um, this is, appears to be a, a season of chaos for our family in a lot of ways. I don't know if you can relate, but um, Karen's father passed away a couple of weeks ago and after a lengthy illness, and Karen had to be, was able to be with them for a couple of weeks, and, and uh, then we were all there for the funeral just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, it, it seems like a, a season of chaos for us internally and externally. And um, so uh, this post-Easter topic, I think, is really something that I'm speaking not out of um, having accomplished everything, but I'm kind of in it right now. And so I'm just sharing with you some of the things that have, um, God has been teaching us through um, this season of chaos that we've been in and, and frankly, have seemed to have been in for a while. Chaos. It doesn't seem like a biblical word, does it? I don't know about you, but it is a word I know well. It's a word that quite often sums up my life. Um, some of that is through, some, as I say, some of the difficult things we've been through, but a lot of it is just life, right? I'm, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. It, it might be season of life or, um, or just the events of life, but it seems like I go from one episode of chaos to the next sometimes and wonder sometimes, will it never end? Here's, I want to paint for you a little bit of a picture. Well, not paint, I want to draw. A little bit of a picture for you about when I think of chaos, what I think about. I I think about um, my life, and I think about um, how I usually proceed with my life. And and I'm a planner, I don't know about you, but but I make plans for my life. And maybe some of you can relate to this. Can you see that over there? I I wouldn't want you to, my goal is to make you happy. So um, if you can't see, just, you know, lean in and you'll be able to see. This is, this is kind of how I see my life. I make plans. I want to be moving forward. Uh, I want to be moving down the path. I want to project things forward. I have plans to move from here to here to here to here to here and to here. Can you relate to that? Uh, whether it's in finances or career or wherever, family, we have plans. We, we want to move along. That's the trajectory of our lives. And I don't know about you, but a lot of the time, that's my plan for my either daily life when I get up in the morning or for my week or my month or my year or the season of life. That's my plan, but that's not the way it works out. This is kind of how it works out. It moves along, life moves along, and then something happens, and it goes like that. Can you relate to that? I mean, I know my drawing is astounding you because of its expertise um, and its it's use of color and depth and all that kind of thing. But, but try and move beyond that, please. And just, um, can you relate to that? I got a plan for my life. It's supposed to go like this, and it goes, and it, it somehow branches off. And, and that's chaos. 
chaos I know thee well, and I'm sure you do as well, between kids and school activities and extracurricular activities and family life, church life, um, curveballs in life that come our way, all those kinds of things. I want the plan to be like this, and it goes like that, and it's chaos. And sometimes that's the only word I can find for it. It's just, it's just chaos. And when I think about how I think about chaos... There's an interesting train of thought that lies beneath the surface for me, and I'm hoping you can relate to it too. When it comes to my view and my perspective on chaos in my life, on on this kind of thing in my life, I'm realizing that I've got a presupposition, and here's the presupposition. Chaos equals bad. Order equals good. Right? Can anybody relate to that? Chaos is bad. Order is good. That's my presupposition. Here's the thing. This thinking about life over time uh, filters into my thinking about God and about his church. In our spiritual lives, we begin to conclude that order is an indicator of strength and chaos is an indicator uh, of weakness. And I'm here this morning to call all of us to repent of this thinking, to turn from it. Why? Because the scriptural reality is precisely the opposite. God often shows up precisely when things appear chaotic. We often experience God most powerfully and most vividly in our lives when things appear to be in chaos. In our small group, um, uh, just this past week. Um, and uh, by the way, a public thanks to our small group for all the wonderful ways they supported us um, over these last few weeks. Uh, we have the best small group. No, no, no. You might think you do, but you don't. We can debate that later. But in our, in our small group, um, one of the, th- the video that we were watching, uh, the speaker talked about how um, if you were to ask people out there, um, one of the main reasons, uh, like people who are uh, atheists or just not churchgoers at all, they say, well, why, why don't you believe in God? The number one reason why people don't believe in God is because of suffering in the world. I can't believe in a God because there's so much suffering, I just can't believe in a God like that. Ironically, If you ask Christians, followers of Jesus, the times in their lives when they grew the most, suffering. That's fascinating to me. We often experience God most powerfully and vividly in our lives when things are chaotic. This morning is not a rant against order. Please understand, I love order. But it's a call to embrace what I'm calling divine chaos divine chaos, embracing that and allowing that to bring vitality into our lives. The reading this morning that I just read for you, um, it it contains divine chaos. On first glance, the whole thing seems idyllic. It takes place on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been there, this is a picture I took back in 2009. I mean, it's wonderful just to sit there, right on the shores of Lake Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. It seems idyllic and and peaceful and serene, this, this setting in John 21. Um, There's fishermen that are going out to fish, and eventually in the story, there's brunch on the beach. The whole thing seems idyllic, but but take a closer look. A a second glance, a little further thought, reveals another perspective on the whole scene. The disciples were likely anything but peaceful. 
Think about it. They had given their lives to this man Jesus for three years. They had walked away from it all and followed him. And, and, and he, was, he was arrested and tortured and crucified. And they put his body in a tomb. And, and it looked like it was all over. And they ran for their lives. Some of them even denied him. And, and they're locked up uh, days or, or weeks before this event, and they're locked up in a room, and they're, 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 they're fearing for their lives, and all of a sudden this Jesus, was he a ghost? What was going on? He stands in their midst twice. And then we don't know what happened after that. They, uh, they clearly go back to the Sea of Galilee uh, and that area where they, where they were familiar with, and they, they pick up where they left off. They were fishermen, and they go out to fish in John 21. Who, I don't exactly know what was running through their heads that morning. But it was likely a lot of chaos. Confusion, uncertainty, fear. A better uh, a word that captures this moment in their lives is likely chaos. And, and it's, it's, into, it's into this this scene of chaos that Jesus shows up, standing there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee as they're just a few hundred yards off the shore fishing. And there he is, and he speaks right into their chaos. First of all, he speaks into their fishing chaos, because accomplished fishermen, though they were, they hadn't caught anything. So Jesus speaks into that chaos kind of humorously and says, you haven't caught anything. Well, your problem is that you're fishing on the left side of the boat. Put your nets on the right side of the boat, and all's going to be well. Which it was. That was probably their first clue that this was not the average uh, onlooker. He speaks into their, into their literal fishing chaos. And then, more importantly, he switches over, and, and you can see the turn in the story, and begins to speak into their, their emotional and spiritual chaos. And, and, and they start to recognize, it's the Lord. That's just not anybody. That's the Lord. And Peter jumps out and hikes up his robe and runs to the shore, and, and, uh, and he recognizes Jesus, and Jesus says to all of them, come, come and have breakfast. And they sit down, and I don't exactly know what they talked about in the first part of the conversation, but Jesus was speaking right into their chaos. And then he, then he focuses on Simon Peter. I, I didn't read those verses, but it's verse 15 and following. And he speaks right into Simon Peter's life right into the chaos and all the emotion he felt around walking away from the Lord he loved. And Jesus speaks right into it. In the middle of chaos, at the heart of their fear and uncertainty and disillusionment, get this, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up right in the middle of their chaos, and something happens, and it becomes divine becomes divine chaos. Incidentally, this is not a new approach by the living God to show up in the middle of chaos and to do something big and lasting and divine. The reality is that Scripture is full of examples of God's power showing up most vividly in people's everyday, ordinary lives right at the specific point when things appear to be chaotic and out of control Right at the point when they release control and acknowledge that God is in charge, God shows up and does powerful things. It's all the way through Scripture. Think about it for a moment. The story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. 
Joseph had a plan for his life. I've got plans. This is what's going to happen. My brothers are going to bow down to me. It's going to be wonderful. I've got it all figured out. My dad loves me. I've got plans for my life. And then all of a sudden comes along and whoops. He's grabbed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. Incidentally, kind of catches his wind from that and thinks, okay, well, this is good. Uh, I can make plans here too. And so he makes plans. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work my way up. And, and so God blesses him. And he's, he's in the, the Pharaoh's household. And then another curve comes. He winds up in jail. It's chaos after chaos. But God keeps showing up. In fact, blesses the entire region through Joseph's chaos. Think about Moses, Exodus 3 and 4. Moses had a plan. It was a pretty simple plan. I'm going to be a shepherd. I'm going to um, get, increase my herds. Um, life's going to be good. I'm going to have, you know, a good life. That's my plan. And then one day there's a burning bush. Whoa! God shows up in the chaos of a burning bush and tells Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and free my people. And Moses comes up with a million reasons why, no, no, this is actually a better trajectory, God. And God shows up in chaos, and look what happens. Story of Job. Job, similarly, got a plan, going to um, have nice family, kids, uh, develop the business, and chaos. Everything's taken from him. Even, get this, even Jesus himself, I was reflecting on this last week, um, or in the last week and a half or so when we celebrated Easter, even Jesus himself in Mark chapter 14, Garden of Gethsemane, a lot of us know the story. He goes with his disciples to the garden just hours before he's arrested, and he says to his disciples two things. He says, wait here and watch. Wait and watch. And he goes on, and he wrestles with his heavenly Father. He's facing the chaos of the cross. And in his humanness, Jesus says to his heavenly father, hey, there's, there's got to be another way. There, there, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way. And in those moments or hours or however long it was, his heavenly father says, no. And, and there's chaos. And he settles. Jesus eventually comes back to the disciples and says, get up. Time has come. It's time. Jesus settles on allowing for that divine chaos in his life because Jesus understood a key concept that's later actually fleshed out by the Apostle Paul in Romans, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, The Apostle Paul talks about these moments of chaos. And and the Apostle Paul says this in in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Here it is. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, and may I add, in chaos. Why? 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. In your weakness, in the very thing that as you sit here this morning and think, that seems out of control, in the chaos, God says, my power will be made known. It's divine chaos. You see, the difference between chaos in our lives and divine chaos in our lives is only a matter of our perspective. Let me ask you this. What's that point in your life right now? Think about it. What's that point? It, it might be a time, of, it could be a point of doubt, it could be a, a point of uncertainty, it could be a point of suffering, it could be a point of loss, it could be a, a point of disappointment in God or somebody else, it could be a crisis of some sort. I don't know, but think about it for a moment. What's that point for you in your life right now? Where you had a plan, you have a plan, and it's, something's changed. It seems to be going another way. It's not going the way you wanted it to or thought it should. Let me ask you this. What's your perspective on that point or that issue or that event or that situation? What's your perspective on it? Is this your perspective? Maybe this is your perspective. God, this is chaos. I feel like I'm out of control and I don't like it. I need to be in control. Make it stop. Maybe that's your perspective. Or maybe this is or should be our perspective. God, this is chaos. It, it, it certainly feels like chaos, but I believe you're here. I believe you're here. And so I choose to see this not as chaos, but as divine chaos. I feel like I'm not in control, but you are. Help me to trust you fully and be open to what you want to do in me and in this situation. Show up, God. I will look for your fingerprints right here. I won't look here. I won't look back and, and, and long for those days. I won't look ahead and long for these days. I'm right here. I will look for you to show up right here. I will wait for you right here, just like you told your disciples. I will wait right here, and I will watch right here. And I will trust in your goodness right here. Lord, would you, would you meet me in the chaos with your divine presence? You see, it's a matter of perspective. The chaotic moments and events and situations in our lives, those times and situations when things um, seem un to be unraveling or they're difficult or they're out of control or they're just not going the way we wanted them to go, it's these chaotic moments, rightly surrendered, that can become moments when God shows up in power. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. More succinctly, Moments, situations, circumstances of chaos in our lives, properly received and properly surrendered, those moments, those situations, those circumstances can become seasons of particular health and vitality for us. 
Did you get that? Because in those moments, when we properly receive them and understand them, it's in these moments where we release control and we recognize God's control in our lives. And get this, when God is given full control, his power is put on display. That's why we grow the most when we suffer, when things just don't go according to the plan. These are moments of growth because it's in those moments when we rightly receive them, we say, God, I'm, I just give you these open hands. Show up. Do your thing. I'm weak, but let your power show. What does all this mean for us as individuals? And secondly, what does it mean for us as a church? I want to end there this morning. As individuals, an indicator of spiritual health, health lies in our increasing desire and in our increasing ability to release control of the chaos of our lives, to learn to trust God, especially when things don't go according to our plan, to the plan we set out, and when life takes a turn, and when we can just say, God, these are my open hands. Where do we need to confess our control issues before God? That's a question I've been asking for a while. Where do we need to confess in our own lives our control issues before God? That, and what I mean by that is, God, I'm, I'm okay with everything you do as long as it just keeps going with the plan. Where do we need to confess that? How do we as individuals and families need to embrace God's divine chaos as avenues for growth in our faith? And please hear, hear me. This point might not be a big tragedy in your life. It could be just the regular grind of daily life. I got a plan and my day never seems to go the way I want it to. How do, we, how, do, how do we as individuals and families need to embrace God's divine chaos as avenues for growth in our faith as opposed to just distractions on the journey? Maybe it sounds something like this. And when you think about what this point is for you in your life right now, maybe it sounds something like this. God, right in the middle of this chaos, whatever this chaos is in my life, Give me eyes to see and ears to hear you. Help me to trust in your goodness. If I'm afraid of weakness or of releasing control of my plans, forgive me. Give me a fresh vision of how you see my weakness and how you can shape and form me, even and especially in the chaotic moments of my life. I long to experience your power at work right here, right now, even in this chaos, even in my weakness. Lord, would you give me open hands? Would you give me open hands, Lord? Maybe that's what it needs to sound like for you this morning, at this point in your life. What does it mean for us as a church? I want you to remember something. The church, the body of Christ, was born out of chaos, what appeared to be chaos. Acts chapter 2. It says in Acts chapter 2 that the disciples, a little further on after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples are together, and they had devoted themselves to a number of things, to scriptural teaching. They had devoted themselves to each other. They had devoted themselves to prayer. But in the midst of that devotion, get this, God shows up. And it seems like chaos. And the church was born. As a church, 
An indicator of spiritual health lies in our increasing desire and ability to embrace the uncertainty and the unpredictability of God in our midst here. To be increasingly comfortable with God changing our plans, even if it seems a little bit out of control or chaotic, or, well, no, God, this is our plan. We're, we're going this way. Come join us, God. To strike a balance between devoting ourselves to specific scriptural things and finding a balance between that and waiting expectantly with open hands and saying, I wonder what God's going to do. Waiting for God to show up and blow through and make his power obvious in our midst and especially in our weakness. Let me ask you this as a church, and I know I've only been here for a year, so forgive me. But let me just ask it, because I, I, I would ask this of any church I preach at. Where do we need to confess our control issues before God as a church? Where do we as a church have just got things all too figured out? Where have our plans become more important than God's presence? How do we as, as, as home groups, as ministry teams, as staff, as elders, as a whole congregation, how do we need to embrace um, moments of divine chaos here at Hillside? And not see them as inconveniences or distractions, but actually see them as moments where God's power can be made perfect in our weakness. Maybe it sounds something like this for us as a church. God, we as a church long to devote ourselves anew and afresh to the things that the early church was serious about. Instruction in your word, caring for and sharing with one another in vulnerable ways, seeking you in your heart through passionate prayer. And then, God, we will wait for you to show up in our midst. Where we have grasped control for ourselves, we ask you to forgive us, and we commit ourselves to learning more fully what it means to let you have control of this church. Where we have placed a higher priority on our plans and on our order than your presence, we ask you to forgive us, and we pray that our first desire here would be to see your plans powerfully come alive in our midst, transforming lives, healing hurts, implanting hope and joy in our lives taking up our role in building up your kingdom here in this community and around the world. God, we pray for your divine chaos in our midst. <laughs> Give us all eyes and ears to see and hear you. Help us to trust in your goodness. We long to experience your power right here, right now, in this place, even amidst our weaknesses, especially there, even through on what a first appears to be chaos in our fellowship, Lord, give us open hands. That's a strong prayer for a church to pray. I wasn't able to be at the meeting, but I, Karen was here, and I was excited to hear about um, some of the, the, the areas of focus that the elders were discerning for Hillside in 2015, a few uh, months ago. Some anchor themes, and a couple of them, a couple of them are growing authentic relationships. And another one was local, compassionate outreach. Do you know that both of those are messy? Just in case you, you just let you know. Authentic relationships, that could be chaotic. Local, compassionate outreach, that can be chaos at times. 
I don't have a lock on how to do those things. But I do know this. If we want to be a people of increasing authenticity and compassion, then we need to be a people of the presence of the living God, hungering and thirsting after him. And if we want to be increasingly a people of the presence, then we need to be increasingly a people who know how to open up our hands. Maybe humble enough to throw our nets on the other side. Or maybe stop and sit down and let God join us right in the chaos over breakfast and speak into our lives what he wants to speak. This is one of those sermons where my notes just end. I usually have a nice conclusion. I don't, I don't have that. I'm going to invite uh, the team up. We're going to close. Um, we're actually just going to close um, with uh, just a few moments of quiet. Uh, I know that we are um, we're over, but that's okay. Just a few moments of quiet. Um, Lincoln's just going to play quietly. And I, I just wanted to close the service before we pronounce a benediction. I, I, I don't want you to rush off. I, I want you just to sit for a moment, and I want you to think about this right here. What's that for me? Or where's that for our church? What's God been speaking to you this morning? Where's that chaos that he says, I want you to surrender it to me? And I'm not going to say anything more than that. Let God speak what he wants to speak to you. And we will pronounce a benediction in a moment. And if you would like someone to pray with you, there's always people here to pray with you. But I want you just to sit there for a second before we head off into our day. What's this point for you and what does God want to speak to you? As we close our service this morning, I just want to read for you a passage from Ephesians chapter 3. It just came to me as, as I was finishing up. It's probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. But whatever God has, uh, if God has spoken something into you specifically for your life this morning, 
or even if it seems to be very quiet right now and you think I, I didn't hear anything it's okay because that's a place of chaos just just stay there God will show up eventually I want you to stand and receive this as good news as we close our service this morning Ephesians 3 there's a prayer for you I want to read it to you for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name and I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established as love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us even in the moments of chaos to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen my friends as you leave this place today Christ is risen he is risen indeed and he longs to show up in power in our lives even in the mundane if you would like prayer there will be people here who would love to pray with you there's refreshments at the back